Amen. Kids up through the third grade, I think it was, can be dismissed to Children's Church. Kids up to the third grade can make your way to room number one. In case you don't know what that is, it's the very first room that you go to, room number one. I am thankful for our musicians. I'm thankful for the work they put in throughout the week and how God has gifted individuals and how people have said yes to serving him. And so we are genuinely blessed and um, I trust that you understand the amount of effort and time that folks do put in uh, to preparation for that. And uh, they are serving the Lord in a way that's, I think, obedient, but also they're serving their fellow man. And um, I'm thankful. I hope that you're thankful when you come across those things. And I hope that you are part of the group that is able to sing those songs and sing them right to God. There will come times for me I know when I'll be singing and it's, it's just a, a sweet, it's almost like a switch and um, I can change some of the words too. Instead of he, I can change it to you and sing right to God and hopefully uh, you are encouraged by the worship so far here and hopefully you'll be encouraged by our time in God, God's word today. Would you bow with me and we'll pray one more time. Gracious Father, as we look to you We come with the word of God in front of us. Many of us come with the word of God uh, in our history, in our minds, those life lessons that have uh, reflected something we've learned in the word or you've done something to make us who we are to bring us to this very day and we can see in God's word how that would apply. God, we do praise you for the time to study Would you allow us to know something more of Jesus Christ so that we can be the light of Christ to those that would need that? There's no doubt in my mind that anyone that's a follower of you is gonna have someone come across his or her path that needs that light. And so would you sharpen us, Lord? Would you make us better followers of yours? Help me not to get in the way but to wonderfully communicate what you would have for us today. We would ask for the clear involvement of the Holy Spirit in our time now. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been in a store and you were needing some assistance, needing some help, and you came across an employee? They had the official uniform, they had the official tag, and as you asked your question to them, it didn't take you very long to figure out This is not the right person to be asking the question of. I was in a store not too long ago, and um, I remember asking a question about it, and you can, oftentimes, if you're looking in their eyes, you can see it right away, can't you? There's, There's this almost a panic sometimes, and I had somebody say, it is my first day on the job. Well, oftentimes when you're looking for something in a store, it's not time for me to, you know, let them get trained. And so I, I just stay, that's okay, I'll, I'll find it on my own or I'll find somebody else. It can be frustrating when we need an answer or we need some specific help and there's somebody there that should be able to give that answer and yet they can't. I was in one of our um, home improvement stores not too long ago and I was looking for a certain product. We had a problem with some bugs outside of our house and so I went and tapped an employee on the shoulder and he, it wasn't his first day and I did not know that he did not know the answer right away, 
okay? But I got there after a short time. And as he was talking and going through the different products that they had and reading the back of the label along with me, I very soon noticed another individual who was right there that was listening in on our conversation. And I saw a little coy grin come on his face. And he kind of whispered something just where I could barely hear it. This is what you need. I immediately turned my attention away from the paid employee and I went to this individual that I strongly suspected had been down that road before. And he did. And I didn't just, you know, take the one little line. I asked questions. And he was able to address my questions and tell me what he did to take care of his problem. And I left there and did not purchase any. No, I did. I purchased one much less expensive item from the store, went home, and I was able to take care of my bug problem. Those box elder bugs um, are around, aren't they? I think if you look hard enough, you'll even see them around your house or maybe even this building, maybe even where you're sitting right now. Hopefully not. There's no doubt that it can be a big blessing when we come across somebody who's been down that road before and they're willing to offer us some help. As we look at um, God's word today, we're going to be in Ephesians and we're going to know very quickly, we're going to recognize very quickly that Paul has been down this road before. God used him in incredible ways, but Paul knows what he's talking about when he gives this beautiful encouragement to the local church. And I believe this letter was a a circular letter. It was distributed, distributed among a few different churches outside of Ephesus, and so Paul knew what he was talking about. Just for the sake of review, we need to remember that Ephesians was not written, and this is unique, and this is a good um, bit of information for you to remember. Ephesians was not written addressing a specific doctrinal issue. It was not written to, um, to address some people that were causing some problems. That was oftentimes the case. Maybe some sin or some false teaching crept into a church, and that's typical of what Paul's letters were. But here we find that Paul is able to write, as he's under arrest, from an overflow of the love of God. If you will, Paul is able to, at this time, write a letter that's kind of, if I could write any encouraging letter without a time restriction and send it off to a local church That's what I'm going to write. We've spent um, a considerable amount of time in the first three chapters where really we are told what God has done and who we are. And there's a reason for the order. We cannot know properly what we're supposed to do in our walk with Christ until we know who we are, what God has done. And he very clearly, he spells that out in the first three chapters and now we find something very very practical for every one of us we don't have any slides today and I know that's a handicap for you visual learners I myself am a visual learner so when I go over some applications or main points I will repeat them if you're taking notes but I would encourage you to take notes I'll give a summary sentence that's worth noting and I'll give four different applications right at the start that I hope will be helpful to you. Let me go ahead and give those to us right now. Application number one, you should be increasing in the knowledge of God. 
we are going to be challenged today with this idea. I think it will become uh, very, very clear very soon. You should be increasing in the knowledge of God. Let me ask this question. Do you think that if you're a Christian today, that the devil is going to attack you? Do you think, just shake your head yes or no, do you think he's going to attack you? He is. If he cannot have you, if he cannot have your soul, then he is going to attack you, and he's going to attack you again, and he's going to attack you again. He does not get tired. He does not get frustrated if he fails in a certain way. He's going to attack you again. The devil will attack the children of God and try to keep them confused, in a confused state for a long time. Maybe you, some of you today would say, man, maybe that's the attack because I'm confused all the time. The devil is going to try to attack you sometimes to keep you discouraged. I think discouragement is such a strong, strong, powerful um, adversary that we will face. Last night, I uh, saw a, a post on Facebook about an individual and the discouragement that he was going through and the depression and how he went on and on and how someone else was trying to help them with that. The devil is so smart and that he's going to attack you and try to get you discouraged. The devil will attack you and getting you, and this is a little more subtle, to try to get you to get delight out of something that is not pleasing to God. Now, sometimes we'll take delight in sin, and that's easy to address. That's easy for someone to be around you and say, you need to not be doing that. But oftentimes, we can take delight, we can um, even take most of our pleasure in this world from something that is not what God wants us to have in that place. And the, the time when it gets tricky is when it's not something sinful. The time when it gets even trickier is when it's something that's actually good. Did you know that we can take some good things and put them in an improper place to where they might uh, be before our God? And the devil attacks us in this way. Now, the sword of the Spirit, the Bible, this is the weapon that God has provided for you to use in these times of battle. It's the only offensive weapon that God gives us. We have multiple defensive weapons, but the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon for us to use in these times of battle. Therefore, you must make it a priority that you can wield this sword skillfully. And some of you might struggle with that. Some of you might say, I don't know the Bible like I should. And so we need to be increasing in our knowledge of God. Listen, the very practice of reading the Bible is going to have a purifying effect upon your mind and on your heart. And I'll be real with you. I know sometimes you can go through it and you'll be done and you can't even remember what you just read. I get that. God gets that too. That's okay. Kind of like, you know, when you talk to somebody and they tell you their name and then you're 20 seconds into the conversation and you think to yourself, I can't remember their name. And so you speak in generalities for the rest of your conversation. God is patient with us. Having said that, it's not an excuse for us just to have a habit but not take in the truths of God's word. 
We need to let nothing take the place of this daily exercise. And at the end of our time together today, I'll give you some specifics that you can do to be increasing in your knowledge of God. Number two, if you're taking notes, and these are gonna sound familiar. One's gonna sound familiar to two, and three is gonna sound familiar to four. Number two, you should be helping another increase in their knowledge of God. Now, number one, I can just throw a blanket out there and say it applies to everybody. And for number two, you might think you have an out here. You should be helping another increase in their knowledge of God. Let me ask that same question, but in a little bit of a different tone. Do you believe that the devil is going to attack younger Christians that are around you? There's no doubt. We know that he's going to attack them. And while every Christian, those younger Christians as well, need to accept the challenge of personal Bible study, that is all true, but I think we're going to see very clearly from God's word today that when the church is working properly, the brothers and the sisters in the church are going to be taking in God's word, but they do not keep it to themselves. They don't keep their hands to themselves was the uh, phrase that came to my mind. But they share it. And you'll have multiple um, individuals that you can influence in this way. A younger generation, many of you have ones that you're raising that you're going to be able to influence. You need to be helping someone else increase in their knowledge of God. Number three for an application. You should be using your gift to serve others. You need to be using the way that God has gifted you to serve other individuals. One of Satan's most effective ways of blocking God's work is to convince us that we really don't have anything to offer. I don't know what that message sounds like from the devil to you. But I know that he wants to get you to the point where you're not being used. I know that he wants to convince you whether it's because of your past, whether it's because you don't have the gift that you would like to have necessarily, whether it's because of what someone has told you or someone has hurt you. The devil is so clever at making people ineffective by convincing us that God can't use us. And I can say authoritatively that that is not true. God can use you, and he wants to use you. But that's where this balance come in, comes in, to where we see God has to do something, and we're gonna see a gifting from God, but then also we have to do our part. You need to say, I am willing, God, to do what you want me to do. And not just say, I'm willing to do what you want me to do, but then to make good on that promise. Unfortunately, there are many Christians who would rather hear from the crowd, what a great guy, instead of hear, well done, good and faithful servant from their master. And I think that in those situations, there might come a day where we will say, I so much should have paid attention to what I was going to hear from my Lord instead of what I would hear from those that were around me in the world. There is an expectation upon your life from God that you're going to mature. And maturity is going to mean that you're helping other people. That's what that means. 
Maturity does not stay in a box all by itself. It means you're going to help others. And that takes us right to the fourth application, which is this. You should be helping another use their gift to serve. So number three was you need to be using your gift to serve others. Number four is you should be helping another use their gift to serve. And I hope you will take these to heart. That's why I asked you to write them down. Because this is hard. Because if it's just me working and serving, you know, if I'm the only person on the committee, I get to make the decisions, I get to start when I want and quit what I want, that's a, that's a little bit easier than if I join with somebody else. But when you invest in another, this is going to multiply your efforts You see, success in serving others is multiplied incredibly when you are bringing another to serve along with you. And yet that is harder sometimes. It can be a blessing. It can fight loneliness. There's all kinds of things that we will see in the end, but that is very, very difficult sometimes to make that decision. There's an expression that I came across last year and I had never heard it before and I thought it was great. It's it's, it's, it's to the point. And it's this expression here. It's the expression, do you want to come with? So someone's going somewhere. They're going to do something. And that short expression, do you want to come with? I love the economy of words that we find in that short expression. And this is what we need to be saying to people. Every once in a while, when I get the common question, how are you doing today? I will give the response, I can't complain. Many of you have heard me say that. I'll say it every once in a while. It used to be at a season in my life when I would say I can't complain, I was having a pretty lousy day. In fact, I was having about as lousy as a day as I could have. And yet when someone would ask, how are you doing? I would say, I can't complain. Now, I did not make up that phrase. The individual I'm going to tell you about did not make up that phrase. But let me tell you how that phrase was stamped on my heart. When I was about 20 years old, I walked into a nursing home room one day of a fellow named Pearl Saunders, a gentleman um, that was in the church that I grew up at, named Pearl Saunders. I had gone to visit him before with my Uncle Jack, and this was a, this was a unique one because it was in a nursing home. I had been to see him before, and let me tell you Pearl's situation. He was called Red. People called him Red. And I understand why you want to be called Red if your name is Pearl, right? I get that if you're a guy. I had visited Red before in his home with his wife. They had a nice economy apartment. They were a loving couple who loved Jesus Christ. And I had sat there and gone on visitation with my Uncle Jack while that wonderful, faithful couple was there. Red had a turn for the worse in his health. He had to be put into a nursing home. The nursing home was literally within a mile and a half of where the apartment was, where he he used to live and where his wife lives. But his wife couldn't drive. And so when she wanted to see him, she had to get transportation. And the bus in town could not turn around in that parking lot. Very, very limited. So his life mate a mile and a half away, could see him just a handful of times throughout the week. One of the times I went to see Red in the nursing home, we walked in, and his legs, his upper legs, were about as big around as my arms, in very bad shape. One time when we went to see him in the nursing home, 
we walked into his room and, and red was laid out on the floor. The hard tile floor had fallen down and my Uncle Jack and I helped him get up and get into bed. This is a gentleman that loved Jesus Christ and he was toward the end of his life and he couldn't see his wife and he was in poor health and frankly, the home that he was in was the worst one in town. It smelled horrible. And we would go up and my Uncle Jack would take Red's hand and he'd say, Red, my old friend, how are you doing today? And can you guess the response that Red gave every single time? He said, I can't complain, is what he said. And as a 20-year-old, I'd walk away and I'd go, liar, just like that. And he wasn't lying. He was telling the truth because he knew the love of Jesus Christ and he knew what he had. And the way that that all started, me going out with my Uncle Jack on Thursday nights, was because he came to me as an older fella in the church, and I was a younger fella. He came to me and he said, what are you doing on Thursday night? Well, he knew what I was doing. I was doing nothing. I didn't have a girlfriend. You know, I didn't have nothing going on. Well, why don't you want to come over to my house for dinner? Well, yeah, I sure do. My, my Aunt Pat was a great cook. Uh, back before my Uncle Jack got the diabetes, it was incredible feasting. And then it was a little more limited after he got diabetes. But still, I never turned down a free meal, as most of you can tell. When I got that invitation for dinner, he said, come on over for dinner Thursday night, and then afterwards, we're gonna go out and visit some people. And then he said this, I don't want you to do any talking. He said, you just pray. You just be quiet. We would go visit individuals that were not saved, that needed Christ. We would go call on people that had come to visit the church that were new. I remember going and calling on a couple that had been a part of the church and they had left and hearing people give the reasons why. We went to the nursing home and would see various people. And I heard that gentleman, Red Saunders, say, I can't complain. And it impacted my life. And it impacted my Uncle Jack's life. But more than that, I think it's impacted people that I've been able to touch in my journey. And it was all because someone looked upon me and they said, you know what, uh, what are you doing Thursday night? Well, we're gonna go and we're gonna do something together. I would have never gone to any of those places if somebody wouldn't have come and taken me along with. And that's what my Uncle Jack did. I can remember at one point being in the church and the choir was uh, heavy on girls and light on men. And I can remember another fellow in the church, name was Gary, coming up and saying, man, there's not many guys in the choir. I said, yeah, I saw that. And he said, you think we should join the choir? And I said, well, yeah, if you will, I will. And so we joined the choir. He was a bass and I was a tenor. And I'm not much of a singer, but I got a little bit of understanding and jumping in and serving. And that never would have happened if somebody didn't come along and say, hey, how about me and you do this? Well, those four applications, let's go ahead and jump to our text. If you're not already there, turn to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four, and we will do a little bit of review and just one main point that we will have today. Ephesians chapter four, let me go ahead and read a summary statement for you as we get started. It's a little bit long, so I'm not sure if you'll be able to get it all down, but here's the summary statement of what we're gonna talk about today. To guard against the dangers of the enemy... We need to have a personal goal 
of maturing towards Christ's likeness while at the same time helping others mature toward Christ's likeness. Together, these describe a growing and healthy church family. I'll say that one more time. To guard against the dangers of the enemy, we need to have a personal goal of maturing towards Christ's likeness while at the same time helping others mature towards Christ's likeness. Together, these describe a growing and healthy church family. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, and just for a little bit of review, we have already talked about four graces that were mentioned in the first three verses of Ephesians 4. These four graces that they're not nice if they can be part of a church, but if a church is going to have success in God's eyes, it has to have these four graces, and they were humility, gentleness, patience, and loving tolerance. A church is not going to go very far if the church body does not have these and the leadership does not have these. Humility, gentleness, patience, and loving tolerance. You'll see it right there in verse number two. And last time we talked, we talked about three common dangers. Three common dangers that trace their way all the way back to the children of Israel and even before that. Even to our day today. And those dangers are adults will sometimes act like children And there's that danger of being tossed back and forth between what we know is right and what is wrong. And we're unstable when we are not grounded. And the third one was being deceived by schemers. And I'm gonna read verse 14 in just a moment that will recap that. Last time we looked at the crazy glue. So not just what we need to do, but what God has done. That theme of one, one father, one son, one Holy Spirit, one body, one hope, one faith, one baptism. One, that's what God has done. And then we talked about how God has given church leaders to equip the believers to do the work of the ministry. And we also talked about how brothers and sisters are gifted in various ways. And so let me go ahead and read today's text. I'm gonna start reading in verse number 11 and I'm gonna go down through verse number 16 where it says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There are multiple themes in this and just the one idea that I wanna key in on today with just a few minutes that we have left is this theme of maturity. For there to be a healthy church body, there has to be maturity. Would you look again with me at verse number 13 and verse number 15? 
And look for how that stands out, that word maturity. Verse 13, until we attain the unity, that's one major theme, of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Well, what does that mature manhood look like? He explains it right after the comma. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How high is Paul setting the bar here? The fullness of Christ. Constantly working towards this. Then look at verse number 15. Rather, so it talks about those dangers. Then it says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to what? Grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Grow up, Christian. Mature, Christian. And we see the word love throughout this, and I would like to just highlight this area. If we are going to mature, we must have this discipline in our lives. You must be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We must be speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is a mark of maturity that is a necessity in a grown-up church. Now, immature people are going to fall into two categories that are, that are wrong. An immature church is going to have two common errors. They, we use kind of the same words, but we tweak it just a little bit. Here's what the immature Christian will do. They will speak the truth, but they'll do it without love. And probably you don't have to search very long in your memory banks to find someone who spoke the truth to you and had zero love in it. And we need to understand that this is a biblical truth that is going to build a church, speaking the truth, but with love. To speak the truth without love is actually brutality. That's what that is. If someone does not know that you love them and you start to speak the truth, something, a hard message that they need to hear, are they going to receive it? And oh, the catalog of illustrations that I have for this, unfortunately. I can remember um, a long time ago, about 13, 14 years ago, we went on a mission trip and took a group to Guatemala. And the blessing that that was and how our young people grew in an incredible way. And as we were down there, um, uh, our son Jack was two years old. And he was going through the terrific twos, as I like to call them. Hopefully you call them the terrific twos too. Some of you call them the terrible twos, but come on, let's be optimists, right? And as we were going and as um, it was, you know, difficult to have a, a young, a toddler along on a trip like that, there was another individual that was on the trip with us and he gave some counsel. Here's how the counsel came. It was in the form of a question. He said, would you like to know what the biggest problem with your son is? Just like that. Well, how do you respond to that? Maybe today, maybe, I would say, no, I, I don't want to know what the biggest problem with my son is. This two-year-old who's on a plane and traveling to a different country. With that question that's burned in my mind forever of an individual who wanted to speak the truth to me but did not have a relationship of love, would you like to know what the biggest problem with your son is? This Christian said to me, and I said, what's that? And he said, his parents. 
of the biggest problem. I remember, so if he was trying to, to make an impact and try to burn it in my mind, now my son has matured much, 14 years worth of maturing since then, and I'm very glad for that. And that episode in my life did nothing to help me as a parent did nothing to help me know how to counsel somebody else except for the fact that we can all be used as a positive example and we can all also be used as what? A negative example. And he said that. And I can remember that standing out and there was no relationship there. And that's so important. If a church family is going to grow, we cannot avoid speaking the truth. And we're gonna talk about that in just a second. But we need to speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth without love is uh, brutality, like I said. It is, it is little children who go to the other extreme. Little children don't know how to blend truth and love. So oftentimes, little children will think that if you love somebody, you have to shield them from the truth. And this is not the call of the church, brothers and sisters. You are not called to shield those that you are growing up with here from the truth. This is a mark of maturity, to go ahead and speak the truth. But you have to have a reputation for being a loving person. You have to have a relationship with someone. Some of you know that I coached a few years back. I've coached multiple times Um, my kids' sports teams. And I enjoyed coaching a little bit. I got ringed into it. I coached soccer when uh, my son was about four years old. And they needed a coach, and they said, we need some parents to step up. So I said, well, I'll share that responsibility. And I was all by myself. But four-year-old soccer is just kind of this, it's this clump of, you know, clump of people moving around the soccer field, you know, kind of like that dust bowl from the old Peanuts movie, moving around there. And if somebody kicks a goal in, everybody's kind of excited and nobody really cares too much. But a few years ago when I was coaching basketball on my son's team, I remember wanting to have a connection with folks outside the church in our area. I remember wanting to be a blessing and to be a testimony. And I played basketball in school and I enjoy basketball. But I can remember being there at our very first game and realizing, oh, I wasn't very hard on these kids. You see, there's an aspect of a coach that needs to lean towards a drill instructor, needs to holler at them and yell sometimes and tell them to move it and make them run a lap or do some push-ups. And I can remember watching as we were getting clobbered in our very first game, and this was the thought in my mind as I, I was trying to do this, yes, to coach my son's team, but also to have an impact in the community. And I thought these words, I thought, every one of these parents is going to hate my guts just like that because I wasn't in the coaching business to make any enemies. I'm Mr. Nice Guy and I wanted to teach him a few things and I wanted us to win some games but what they needed was for someone to tell them the truth. That's lazy. Get moving. They needed a coach that would be hard on them. And in a very similar way, if we're going to see a church maturing, if we're going to see a church growing up, it's going to mean that you are going to speak the truth and that you're going to do it with love. 
That means if you have not established that you're a loving person, you can't lead with that. You cannot come in and say, hi, my name is John. What's your name? Okay, here's something I've seen in you. You can't, you can't lead with the rebuke. You have to establish a relationship of love. When we come across that in church sometimes, I will ask the question among a group of people, who here has a relationship with this one? So they can approach them. And that's why we need everybody in the church to be connecting with others. One of the reasons why, one of the many reasons. This is a mark of maturity. You must have a reputation for being a loving person. All right, let's go ahead and close and let me take you back to those three applications and I'll give you some specifics. What can you do with this? Uh, First of all, how can you increase in your knowledge of God? Well, if you've been around the Christian world for any amount of time, you probably can make your own list. But let me give you some practical things of how you can increase in the knowledge of God. First of all, find a routine in your Bible reading or your Bible study that works for you. Not everybody is the same. Not everybody's a morning person. And some of God's people said, amen. And some of you are not evening people. And some of God's people said, including myself, amen. Now, I'm a morning person. About 6.15 in the morning, I could, well, I'm, I'm gold at that time. If we had preaching at 6 o'clock in the morning, you'd be getting some incredible messages. You really would. But you probably wouldn't be awake for them, so you wouldn't receive them, most likely. Find a routine that works for you. Maybe first thing in the morning. I can remember that challenge. Talk to God before you talk to anybody else. There's a song that says, what if in the morning when I wake up, before I sip my coffee cup, I say, thank you, God. Some of you need that jolt, though, to say thank you to God. I understand that. Find a routine that works for you, first thing or after breakfast. It might mean midday, but get into a routine. Get a consistent place, and that can be hard. Some of you might be in a household that's crawling with kids. Where do you find a quiet place? That can be difficult. I was just recently sharing a hotel room with, with someone and I took my earbuds and so I could kind of get alone right there in the hotel room and, and listen to some Bible reading and read through some of the Bible. But get into a routine that works for you as far as the knowledge of God. And then just, if you're having a hard time sticking with it, just be creative. Uh, some of you like the daily bread. You've used the daily bread for years. It gives a nice little uh, devotional reading and it also gives you the Bible reading part. If that works for you, stick with it. You don't have to throw that out. For some of you, you might be an auditory learner. So you might want to listen through the scriptures. There's a variety of things. There's free Bible apps. You can just press a button and listen through the reading of the scriptures. And you can even go and do things while that's playing and let that soak in. I would recommend a mix. If you want to go through the entire Bible, the best way that I've found to go through the Bible is not just four chapters starting in Genesis 1 and going through because you're good until you get through about mid-Exodus and then, you know, a whole bunch of people get knocked off their Bible reading schedule when they get into the law, into Leviticus, and it becomes difficult. So if you want to go through a lot of the Bible, I recommend mixing it up. Do two chapters from the Old Testament and then maybe two from the New Testament or one from the New Testament and one from the songs section. That's what I do. You might try this if you want something different. Read through the same epistle, the same New Testament letter, every day, maybe for two weeks. 
you're going to become so at home with that letter if you do that, if you make that part of your practice. You're going to know where at on the page you saw something. You might not remember the exact chapter and verse, but you're going to know it's on the left side about a third of the way down right there. I read that. So be creative, but you need to increase in your knowledge of God. And then number two, you need to be helping another increase in their knowledge of God. Well, how can you do this? Are you paying attention? Seek out somebody to help them. Seek out somebody. Take them by the elbow. Establish a relationship and say, hey, maybe establish someone to have a Bible study with. Find somebody that you can talk about spiritual things with. Find someone that you can teach. That's one way of doing it. Seek somebody out. Encourage somebody else. This is what a healthy church is going to do. And then also, and very clearly, we have opportunities for you to teach people in one of our programs. We need adult teachers. We need teachers of children. These are things that um, we need folks to step into. And some of you might say, that scares me to death to do something like that. That's okay. If you don't have that gift, it will become clear very, very soon and you can stop and do something else. But you can be involved. You might just be an assistant in a class, helping with the snacks. By the way, if you're the one in a kid's class helps with the snacks, you might be the favorite one of the teachers that's in there. I heard a kid say that years ago. The teacher was getting the, the substitute teacher, getting the kids all ready for the lesson. And a little four-year-old spoke the truth uh, so clearly. And he said, yeah, we're, we're really just interested in the snack, is what he said to the teacher before they were going to teach the lesson. I love that story. So you can be the one that gives the snack. Or you can be the one that teaches God's word. You can be the very first one to tell the story of Jonah and the whale to some of these young people. What a blessing. I remember by name the individuals that poured their time into me. And we as a church, we are built in a way where we're trying to encourage families. And we have options, opportunities for you to be involved. The third application was you should be using your gift to serve others. You should be using your gift to serve others. Seek out the needs. And this is just a, this is a biased statement from the pastor. Because there's all kinds of folks that want to have something that either is not a need or nobody else is interested in. You know, and you might be on to something, and it might be something great, but too often it's just something that you saw 35 years ago, and there's not really a need for that today. There's not really a void that is there. Seek out a need. Somebody came to me in the past week, and they said, we don't have one of these in our church. And I said, that is a void in our church. And I said, why don't we start to pray about that? Why don't we keep our eye on individuals that might be interested in being part of that? So seek out a need in ministries or in someone's life. There's all kinds of folks around us that need help. And there are a handful that will come to you and say, will you help me? And there are the vast majority that need you to be walking with both your eyes open when you walk through church and you need to see them and come up and say, hey, can I help you with something? Or can I help you with this? It means being bold, and it means being part of a church family, using your gift. And then that final one builds on top of that. You should be helping another to use their gift to serve, asking someone to partner with you like those individuals in my life have, and then be steadfast in your efforts because it's easy to quit. 
It's easy when someone wants to take over or when they're unfaithful. It's easy. Don't give up. Aren't you thankful for individuals that poured time and effort into you that didn't give up? And if we want to get really real, did they have the right to give up sometimes? Yeah. I know there's been times where I didn't deserve to have somebody stick with me, but I'm glad they didn't give up. So you should be helping another use their gift. You know, there's a common expression that we use, and it's this expression here. It is more blessed to give than to what? Receive. And I think that applies to all of these areas. These areas where you're working with somebody else, number two and number four, where you're encouraging somebody else to have a better knowledge of God. You're encouraging somebody else to use their gift, and you might think, well, I'm not sure if I want to do that. I don't have the bandwidth to do something like that. You need to understand that individuals that have stepped out and have invested in another, whether it be their knowledge of God or their area of service, those individuals have learned that beautiful principle that applies. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I go back in my mind and I think of individuals that loved on me and encouraged me. And the people who have not learned this are the ones who have not tried it. They cannot describe it. They don't know what a blessing it is to pour into somebody else and to see them even advance in their Christian life and go on to do wonderful things. The same principle applies to helping others gain a Bible knowledge and helping others develop a pattern of serving. And so here's what I want you to be church family, I want you to be not necessarily the guy in the store that's wearing the uniform and got the name tag where they come and ask you a question. I want you to be the person that's close by that's kind of grinning. I want you to be the person that says, I've been down that road before. I want you to be the person that is seeking somebody who is lost or is hurting or who is wanting maybe somebody who won't ask for help. And when you become that to the brothers and sisters in Christ, there will be a unity, there will be a love, there will be so much blessing that is the mark of a church that is growing and is overflowing. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we look to you knowing that we did not deserve for you to chase after us. To come and to bring us this wonderful gift of grace. And we thank you that you did. And we would praise you for that example that we can seek after others, even others that don't deserve it necessarily. And we can be helping ourselves mature, building ourselves up in serving and in Bible knowledge, but we can also be pouring into others. And this is what we need, Father. I would pray that we would have men and women, old and young, that would have eyes that would look to pour into someone else. Establish those relationships so that they can speak the truth in love when it's necessary. God, we praise you for how beautiful it is to see your example of love to us. 
Help us to learn from that and to show that love to others. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron just to play through a stanza on the piano. As he plays through, this is a chance for you to pray. If you are here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and he's pulling on the strings of your heart, let me invite you to do so right now. Christ died on the cross for your sins, and you can ask him to forgive you and make you his child even during this moment. If God is maybe directing your heart in some other way, maybe in the area of being faithful in growing your own life, maybe in the area of helping another to grow, take just a moment while the piano's playing to pray. Talk right to your God about it.